do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. In 1904, after several years' experience publishing quality books at popular prices, Joseph Mulby Dent began to flesh out an ambitious vision for a series of reprints he would call the Everyman's Library. It was to be a massive and diverse selection of more than a thousand classics, practically the whole canon of Western civilization's great books sold at affordable prices. Dent was a classic Victorian autodidact, the tenth child of a Darlington house painter. He dropped out of his village school at just 13 and ventured to the city of London, becoming an apprentice to a bookbinder. Mastering the craft within just a few years, he entered the trade as an independent publisher before he was 20. Series of classic reprints had existed before, but they were typically published for the elite in very limited and expensive editions. Dent yearned to publish a beautiful library of books that might appeal to every kind of reader, the worker, the student, the cultured man, the child, the ordinary man and woman, so that for a few shillings, the reader may have the whole bookshelf of the immortals, and for a few pounds, a man may be intellectually rich for life. Such a library would provide, he declared, infinite riches in a little room. The Everyman's Library would become for Dent a crusade, an act of faith. Though the experts had decreed that the classics were dry, uninspiring, and hardly suited for the fast-paced industrial world of modernity, Dent believed that properly presented the great books would prove to be as appealing as ever. He was convinced this was true due to the fact that while the classics exhibit distinguished style, fine artistry, and keen intellect, they also create a whole universe of imagination and thought. In addition, unlike the simplistic nursery tales manifest in much of contemporary literature, he believed the classics portrayed life as complex and multifaceted, depicting both negative and positive aspects of human character in the process of discovering and testing enduring virtues. He also believed that the classics had an inevitable transforming effect on the reader's self-understanding, stretching, shaping, and confronting him. He thought they invited and rewarded frequent rereadings. They were ever new. They had the uncanny ability to adapt themselves to various times and places and thus provided a sense of the shared life of humanity over the course of a space and a time immortal. 
Finally, he held that their mere endurance across all the varied times and seasons of human experience demonstrated an interminable permanence amidst modern temporality, and that was simultaneously comforting and challenging. The venture was obviously a commercial risk, but Dent was confident that the very thing that made the classics classic would ensure success for the series. And he was right. Public demand for the books in the Everyman's Library exceeded every expectation. Print production began in 1906, and more than 150 titles were issued by the end of that year. Milton's words, a good book is the precious lifeblood of a master spirit embalmed and treasured up on purpose to a life beyond life. These words were printed on the title pages of the first Everyman's, the two-volume Life of Samuel Johnson by James Boswell. And every Everyman's title since has carried the motto, Everyman, I will go with thee and be thy guide in thy most need to go by thy side. The quote is from a medieval morality play where the character Everyman is comforted by his friend and companion, Knowledge, as they set out on a journey together, long, hard, and dangerous, the journey of life. Dent had been greatly influenced by the designs and private press books of William Morris and T.J. Cobden Sanderson. The title pages and end papers of the early Everyman's volumes were designed by Reginald Knowles and owed much to the arts and crafts movement. The pocket-sized format of the hardback editions fit well in the hand and proved to be the perfect companion for railway journeys and subway commutes. The volumes featured fine typographic design, sewn cloth bindings with head and tail bands and silk markers as ribbons. They had uh, substantial introductions by leading scholars and writers, along with comparative chronologies in easy-to-read formats. In 1935, typeset title pages using Eric Gill's perpetual Roman typeface and small abstract wood-engraved ornaments by Eric Ravelis replaced the more ornate Knowles designs. In 1953, a slightly larger crown octavo format was adopted, and round backs replaced the original flat spines. That year, a newly updated version of the dolphin and anchor trademark engraved by Reynolds Stone appeared on all the title pages and spines. Years before, Dent had adopted the emblem of the 15th century Venetian Renaissance scholar and printer Aldus Manutius, who had invented the pocket-sized book for his own editions of the classics. Due to wartime inflation and shortages of supplies during World War I, the price for each volume of the series more than doubled. 
Then, after the conflict, the market situation actually worsened, so Dent responded by expanding book sales to international markets. He began distribution to North America by setting up a Canadian subsidiary and negotiating distribution deals with E.P. Dutton for sales throughout the United States. He then hired agents to sell the Everyman's series in Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa, India, and the Dominions, the Commonwealth, and throughout continental Europe. The Everyman's Library finally reached the millennial volume with the publication of Aristotle's Metaphysics in 1956. In just 50 years, total sales of the Everyman's series had exceeded 60 million copies of the classics. It had become a permanent library of record, as John Updike called it, an alternative to more ephemeral paperbacks and today's digital audio and e-books. The company was sold by Joseph Dent's heirs in 1988 to Wiedenfeld & Nicholson. It was sold again in 1990 to Alfred Knopf. And most recently, the company has been reorganized as a part of the Knopf Doubleday Division of Penguin Random House, owned by the German media conglomerate Bertelsmann. But the impact of the little publisher that dared stand against the tide of modern conventions of uniformity, conformity, and efficiency is still felt. Joseph Dent's literary habits reintroduced the prescience, pertinence, and propriety of the classics to a transient world desperate for permanent things. And that is both resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, go to georgegrant.net.